The Cyber Menace podcast is for educational purposes only. The views expressed by hosts and guests are their own, not necessarily their employers. Advice discussed is general advice. We promote ethical discussions, not illegal activities. Listen responsibly. Well, good day, everyone, and welcome back to the Cyber Minutes podcast. My name is Max, and I'm joined by Flynn. And again, our special guest, Cohen, has returned. So welcome back, Cohen. Thank Great you. to have you on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Great to be back. Yeah. Being here again. So we thought we'd just sort of, while you're here, we'd hit the nail right on the head and talk about something that we've all discussed quite a bit. And we just want to hear your views on it a little bit as well, Cohen. So where do you see the major threat to Australia's cybersecurity in the next sort of five to 10 years? Like what particular industries do you think are going to be hit the most or targeted the most? What do you think? That's that's a great question. Uh, we've already seen a few recent events that I think perfectly demonstrates like the vulnerabilities that we already face or the the potential issues that I can't remember. The, I think it was like uh, shipping world or something. I can't yeah, remember. Oh, DP no, world. That's we discussed that earlier. Oh, did you? Okay, well, I'll leave that. But that cost. Oh no! Hands. I mean, we were only surface level with that as well because we were. We it was forget. It, it was going. It was like the day before that it yeah. happened before we uh, recorded. Uh, the so that uh, was still before all of the information. Came out. I think it was forty percent of imports or exports. Or was it both? Forty percent of yeah imports exports. Forty percent. That's insane. Um, I think all uh, stuff coming into the country yeah. stopped. Yeah, and it, uh, that was. I think it was just a ransomware, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was for a few days, and it cost millions of dollars in damages. We, yeah, because we were worried that it was going to increase Christmas uh, shopping prices, which didn't seem to happen, thankfully. No, mm. uh, didn't really seem. Well, from what we know, who knows about the analytics and the statistics, but um, nothing seemed like no. egregiously expensive. No. No. So, ports. Uh, if we look, say, yeah, if we look at what's happened previously, like if you look at the colonial pipeline attack that happened yeah. on the east coast of the US, like. That kind of critical infrastructure, which uh, denied like entire motorways from fueling, like they couldn't fuel uh, um, jets, they couldn't fuel planes. Like there, there was so much different like infrastructure and industries that were impacted from that, uh, and that was just from one thing, right? And uh, that I can elaborate. I did like a whole white paper on that, but there's so many different industries that like aren't prepared to be targeted. And I think one of the biggest industries in Australia, for example, is the mining industry. Mining, yeah. If that gets impacted, like. I, I don't think we'll be able to recover them very easily or very quickly, depending on how long they've been ransomware, depending. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, they're very, they're heavily reliant on those systems. In fact, like, it'll impact people's lives and put people at jeopardy. Yeah. And so... Kind of think of all the machinery that you... <clears throat> oh, it's not going to be... Potentially dangerous. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Dangerous. But I was going to say as well, it's probably a lot of it isn't brand new or up to date. Um, oh, no, there's probably... It's probably like, regular... Yeah, riddled with old vulnerabilities. So, yeah, I, I didn't hadn't even thought about that. Um, something I think that a trend we often see is that we see basically what you said. There's an industry that's not prepared for it, and then when that gets hit, that industry inevitably, you know, kind of all shifts themselves and they make the security better. We saw it originally with the hospitals. We had the WannaCry stuff in the UK, where um hospitals were just like disgustingly insecure, and that happened. And, you know, that was one of the worst history. MS-17, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, legal firms, I, I've been hearing a lot that a lot of them are really scared right now. They're trying to get ahead of the curve. Well, yeah. Um, I meant because they would be especially at risk because of their clients. I feel like they're the type of clients that would sue them for that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's directly legal adjacent, but we saw the Victoria Court breach. Um, 
I, when I saw that, I thought it was a really big worry because, uh, you know, cord breaches, depending on the time, it could be very, you know, state sponsored. Somebody's targeting a specific case. Mm. Um, didn't look like it. It looked like it was just a typical run of the bill ransomware. Dude. Um, it's, it's funny. Like I, it's, it's difficult because cyber is one of those things that those, those are the noisy ones. Like yeah. ransomware is like, you will always know when you've been, that's the point. Operators that are good at their job, like a, a, you know, ATP, advanced, oh, sorry, APT, Advanced Persistent Threats, um, state sponsored groups, like we've seen this time and time again. Like if you look at, for example, SolarWinds, mm. they they were vulnerable. They were, you know, hacked for months. So the, yeah. I, I think the typical dwell time, I'm trying to remember, is like between six months. Yeah. yeah. I, well, yeah, I've seen, I've seen like 40 to 80 days yeah. between that range. It's, I know that's a very wide range, but that's the average dwell time. And that's with like, most I'd, I'd wager like 70 to 80 percent of most attackers are sophisticated they're running known tools known exploits known scripts and they're getting wins when they really shouldn't be yeah. a a talented group like mm-hmm. an organized like i'm gonna call it organized crime because that's truly what it is you won't know when you've been hacked no. by the time you do know they've been there for months they've gotten what they need right so like i'll play paint you a picture because i've seen this time and time again like we off, we're not a blue teamers. We don't do instant response, but sometimes when we get brought in to do testing and say we get a shell, we'll look at logs. We're curious because if we got a, a shell on a machine, yeah, someone else probably has too. So we check afterwards and we do that kind of work as well. Obviously, it's like different contracting and it takes a long time to do it, but like we do do that. Yeah. And we've seen that there it's not just one or two hackers on the machine like we, we see like upwards of like 10 different people yeah. like using this like so it's really weird it's like honor amongst thieves like they'll have like one account that they might all just use yeah. and it's like really really cheeky but what we, we see constant machines like uh, um it's called like xm xmp i think it might be xmp miners they're like monero miners right yeah. a good hack you won't know you've been hacked if uh, it's oh, yeah. a good hacker and it, that guy comes back to the what we said in the previous episode where knowing your information assets and knowing who your attacker could be is really valuable in that case because Flower Store is probably not going to have uh, a Russian APT on their door, but um, you know a life insurance company. Yeah, you can assume that Fine. an APT is going to spend a lot more time in the reconnaissance phase, sitting around, slowly poking things, sitting under the radar, making sure that everything that they're doing just looks perfectly normal. Yep. When in reality, they're probing all the areas of your organization, your network, your systems, applications, everything to learn as much about your organization as they can before, you know, finding something. And like you said before on our last episode, if you have a big organization with thousands of assets, lots of applications, and, you know, they can only really look at so much, there is going to be something they will find that they will be able to get in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And... Look at SolarWinds, for example. Yeah. SolarWinds, they didn't even target one company. Like they, they took it a step further. So this was, I think it was Cozy Bear was their code name, or like yeah, APT29. Yeah, yeah, I think it might be APT29, yeah. Cozy Bear. Um, they, obviously, I'm not a malicious person. Uh, I'm a white hat hacker. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I'm reformed, I'm reformed, I jest. But um, like I really, admi- there's a certain beauty in hacking. Mm. I really admire like this this campaign. So what they did was, uh, do you know the how Solomon's we studied it in uni, but I haven't I haven't looked at it probably in a good. Ah, uh, uh, like uh, I I myself uh, read up on uh, Solomon. So 
what had happened was they didn't target governments or you know nvidia or samsung oh i do know this was the, th- yeah. the supply chain attack exactly good man good man they targeted an IT uh, software solution called Solowinds. Yep. And uh, think of like Solowinds, like an equivalent of Kanji. Okay. You can manage devices, you can see endpoint health, so you can do system checks, you can read disks, you can see what people are doing, manage users, yada, yada, yada. So what they had done is they had breached the Solowinds network and they had sat there for months. Yeah. And they were slowly studying like the deployment pipelines, how they deploy code. What does typical behavior look like? They do this so they can obviously like mirror and mimic it and stay as quiet as possible. So eventually they pwned some developer account, right? And they got access to some developer system and he has credentials there. So he's already assigned to GitHub. Yep. Uh, what they did is they initially, they didn't even put malicious code the first time they added the, I'm going to call it malware, because that's what it is. There's like an audit process, like this DevSecOps that review code. So they have to be very smart about it too. So they put dummy code in initially. I don't know what it does. I can't recall what it does. And so weeks later, what they had then done is that they had then did a pull request. They changed that dummy code to actual malicious code, but it was very, very well obfuscated. Like if you look at how like the, do you know what like a C2 uh, infrastructure is? Uh, or kind of control infrastructure? Yeah. So they had very cleverly set up this. So you can do data exfiltration in very specific ways. And one of the ways that they had done that was through DNS records. So it's very lightweight and you can't send much data, but like you can query commands uh, like in response to like a wait or even say like, hey, uh, I'm now infected, I'm alive, I'll, I'll ping back the master server. But the master server, obviously, uh, the IP for that changes every single time. So what they had done, instead of having a static master uh, server, they would uh, do it through DNS records. So that way, it's very difficult to put your finger on what what is the master server, what are the, what kind of information are they sending out, um, how you know what are they looking for, what are they listening for. Yeah. So anyway, so the phone solo wins at this point. They now have this very light malware setup. Uh, all it does is it listens and it queries for one file. So it's the it's called a dropper. So it's like a staged um, malware, pay- like a the staged payloads. So once they had deployed it to uh, this product. Obviously, these governments and NVIDIA and Samsung, all these high-level governments, oh, God, I know they're two separate companies, but also high-level governments, I think it was like Department of Energy, uh, Department of Defense, and a few, I can't recall the request, but this is American governments. All of these uh, governments were using this product. What happened is they get the updates, right? And then the dropper, would, every few weeks, so even day, I think it might have been days, not weeks, every few days, it would do a system check, like, are there certain uh, antivirus solutions that are running? If it was something like, uh, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but there was like three or four ones that it was okay with. If it saw in the system, it would try and disable it. But if it saw, I think it was one or two other solutions, if, if it saw um, like analyst, um, uh, like sys internal tools or like Wireshark, it would just, it would just drop, it would stop, it wouldn't, it wouldn't run. Yeah. And it's very quiet in that sense. Like if someone was trying to look at what was happening and they use one of these tools, it would stay quiet. But for, uh, for the system, and it also check for like test system, like we'll look at the, the system that's on, am I a test system? Am I in like a, a test environment? Yep. And if it's not production, stay quiet. Yep. And it was very, very cleverly done. And over the course of months, people were, like companies were slowly like, starting to realize like, I don't know, actually, I don't know initially how they realized this. Uh, I tried looking around for, I couldn't find anything on that, but it took 
months. By the time they realized, like these hackers had been in every company for months already, had gotten terabytes of data. Wow. And what do you mean? That was spreading from big corporations to governments yeah. and agencies. Exactly. Exactly. It's a very real attack. Very well, perfectly executed. Perfectly executed. Uh, just for our listeners, I could not find a specific statistic on dormancy with ABTs, but the general consensus is months to years. Yeah. Uh, they can spend a very long time. Yeah. Being very sneaky. Yeah. Would you? Were you able to find the NIST? Uh, I, there's some like papers on it, but it's hundred. <laughs> But, you know, where could we find the white paper that you were talking about? Uh, it's on my resume. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, I'll happily share this white paper. Like, uh, I have, like, the uh, the hash sum for all of the, like, uh, malware binaries and everything. But dormancy capabilities, it's such an interesting thing. I mean, it may have been part of the Colonial Pipeline and Solowin stuff, but I was talking recently about, uh, in a risk training session... Uh, I think it was Alfie Blackhead about how its dormancy capability, how it was like so crazy. It was a similar thing where it would probe for certain um, software and then, you know, basically shut itself down and just lay there and then come back up. Mm. Really interesting stuff. We were going to have a chat a little bit before about cloud systems. Mm. And I, I had to stop you. I had to refrain you from taking because <laughs> I wanted to chat about it here. Ah, that's for no one. <laughs> yeah, this, this, was, this was a fun story. So there's something called the Spring Boots uh, framework, and it is a Java-based uh, framework. And there's, depending on how it's been configured, and if it has been misconfigured, there is a particular endpoint that will give the service heap dump. Now, what a heap dump is, um, is a it's a snapshot of the system's memory. Uh, and it's done, and I don't know what, uh, the actual file type for the heap dump, uh, I think it's literally just dot heap dump, but you need to use a specialized uh, Java-based tool to actually reverse the heap dump, so you can read the strings from it. Something like a it's got the word sun in it. I can't remember what it is. There's actually if you go to devon.com and you go slash, uh, I use a different keyboard layout. Case studies. Oh, that's the New South Wales uh, Digital Drivers License app hack, which is done by Noah. If you want to look at a cool, so do you guys use the Digital uh, Drivers License app? I do have it, but I don't use it at all. So I should probably just get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> I can I just, I completely forget. That's one of the things with cybersecurity. You, some people forget. Even I, I can. I'm supposed to be an expert. And I can. I can neither confirm nor deny. Uh, I use the digital. Well, I'll be deleting it right after this. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, the yeah the books of uh, the, the secure frame over to Rome. Yeah, they hacked it. Yeah. Uh, if you looked at it, you can nothing say. Yeah, nothing. No, that, that was that was such a poor demonstration of like the New South Wales government's cap, uh, capacity. Like that was a multi-million dollar application, and ah, uh, yeah. I mean, we'll we'll go into more later on. About, oh, right, the heap dump. The uh, about how horrible Australia's <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. So we're looking at this one server, and obviously I can't say the company's name, but they had multiple of these servers. We used three of these servers with this particular misconfiguration. And uh, we download this heap dump and reverse it, and now we can re- we can query for strings. And we're looking through this, and there's just already hundreds of credentials. Like I'm talking about now, SQL database keys. I'm talking about administrator passes, tokens, even like JWTs. Uh, but what my target was was AWS uh, Akia keys. So at the beginning of every AWS um, private key, there is a it starts with four characters: Akia, A K I A. Now, you can query for that, and you can look through the server's memory, and there's 
it's it's a bit annoying how it's done like the the key key is actually not the private key uh, that's that's the actual uh i think environment key i don't know what it's called i'm not i'm not too like i'm definitely not a like a aws engineer like a uh, cloud is i'm not a cloud engineer and then you have to try and hunt the associated um private key with that so like some long randomly generated uh passphrase sometimes you can get lucky in that together uh in this heap dump often you have to do a bit of hunting so it's a bit of guessing yeah but what we then get is so you grab these keys and then you pull up like a docker container or a vm if you want to do or vps we do, we typically do 95 percent of our hacking on a vps for scans and stuff um, so yeah, then we get these keys, uh, whip up, uh, it's a tool called Scout Suite. Love that tool. Fantastic for anything cloud related. Um, it does multiple different environments as your GCP, uh, AWS, and I think it does, uh, what is it? Alibaba. Is it Alibaba? Oh, yeah. I think it's Alibaba. Yeah. Um, we check these keys in and then we can see it like, oh, these keys are valid. So we've validated, I've now have three sets of different keys. Uh, for this is, is just for S3 buckets. Yeah. Now, guess how many S3 buckets we now have complete and utter access to? They're non-encrypted. I uh, don't require any additional authentication to access or read or dump. Get, just have a guess of how many buckets we had found and just one set of keys. One. Uh, if it's a... I, I've actually heard this story before, so I can't go... <laughs> I'd be giving it away. I'll, I'll tell you, yes. Um, say You said it's like, was it medium, large, and price? Large. Probably, I think it's called. It's right. Simple storage solution. S S three. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm probably say maybe, maybe five thousand. Ooh. Okay. Another big. Um. Well, it gets to that level. So mm. the first set of keys have about two, three hundred different buckets, but each bucket has maybe eight. Uh, I think I'm trying to remember. The, yeah, it was we're around two terabytes of data that we now have access to. Yeah. And so. I'm obviously I'm not gonna put this on my local machine. I'm pulling, in, I'm grabbing everything. I'm putting my VPS. Uh, I have to, I had to continuously like up the storage uh, for my VPS. Uh, one stage we actually lost access to a VPS because of like overfill in storage. So we didn't make that mistake again, but uh, it didn't really change much. We just lost a bit of time. So we downloaded 1.8 terabytes of all of this data. Right, we we have permission to do this as a company. We're wanted uh, to do this one. This is when I'm when I was speaking about a really wide scope in the previous episode. This is one of those cases where we're the red team. Uh, by any means, we will get a win. And so we download ter- the, yeah, terabytes of data, and then we run tools on like uh, Trufflehog called GitLeaks. Uh, yeah, GitLeaks, and there's one more, uh, IronPipe, I think it is, something like that. Yep. Um, and so what this does is it then scans all those files for more credentials. And so from, from there, we found like another like 10 pairs of AWS credentials. And not even that, we found like employee credentials and administrative cred- credentials to their environments. So now we had access to three different uh, environments, GitHub uh, buckets. Uh, now we have access to, I won't give it an exact number, but it was around 30 different environments. Like what happens with main cut, co- like main company has, a, they create a different environment for each one of these um, customers. Now I can't say the specific company, but was, the client we were working with, they, uh, they, they're basically the backend systems for like managing redacted. And they each one of the environments is for a different redacted. So this is a lot of data for, and we have a lot of access that we shouldn't. And not only that, but we now have access to oh, it was like hundreds of thousands of logs, and and, and even in those that there was just so much information. And so we now have complete and utter access to thirty different environments. And obviously, we don't actually have permission to touch the customer environments. Yeah. 
so but just we know we knew uh the main ones for these guys and so we had demonstrated a potential impact and we got um the i think it's iam for aws uh i don't I'm, yeah, yeah i don't like it yeah i, uh, I don't see access yeah management yeah. yeah and so and we had done a route on all yeah all environments for that for through one you know, through three three domains and then so we started looking okay now we're we're hunting for heap dumps and we scan using tools like shodan and a bunch of other ones like we scan entire address spaces for like our, our our products for assets that we even they didn't even know they existed, but we found about a total of sixty different servers that had this vulnerability. Yeah, and those and it just took me three uh, three servers to pwn thirteen environments. When we did this, like this was two parts. So like that the first I'll call it leg that took about two three months of work. Like there was so much to sort through. So it takes a long time to yeah. demonstrate impact. But that's the level the APTs play on. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing, right? Because the way that the media portrays hacking and you know how it's shown in movies, yeah, it's you always. I'm in the front track I'm in the mainframe, and it takes them five seconds, yeah. and you know they've got all this access. But in reality, it's a long game. It's a long game, and that's even from you, like private company. Can you imagine? You know, yeah, uh, ABTs. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Clickers. Yeah, the way it looked like I'm. I'm I'm okay. I'm no longer a teenager, but like I I, I had the capacity to do this when I was a teen, right? but I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't working at a firm to do it. Didn't really have a point in doing it. But like the fact that some random kid could do any the same thing I did is just such a terrifying prospect. Like you don't need to have okay maybe some fundamental fundamental level of understanding, but I'm seeing like I'm seeing kids like pulling off like for example like, the last several kids that were arrested like the um, Uber hack. Thing that is, some lapses child, right? Is that, the, is that the one where Uber also got in trouble because they tried to do an under the table payment? Oh, I didn't know that. No, yeah, right. same guy who did GTA Six as well. The leak for that. Ah, yeah, I think he was with Lapsus. Ah, uh, but he's some kid, right? And but like all the ones, like it's funny, all the ones except this last Russian dude. All the hackers getting caught are just people who don't know how to not make noise. They like. These kids were doing it from the home machines. They were a, they weren't even using a VPN. B, they weren't even using a VPS or a proxy service or nothing. Like they were just, they were raw dogging. If you don't mind me, <laughs> I think it's partially because they just don't understand consequences. That's that's true. He probably, yeah, I, I don't blame him. Like I'll actually, that's another funny story. Uh, I'll say when I was a little shit, like I didn't really understand the consequences of things I was doing. Like I was like, will this work? Oh, it does. Yeah. So when I was in high school, uh, Max had a thing called. Uh, this is the one thing I got in trouble for. Um, there's a thing called screen sharing. Yeah. Now, when we initially got our Macs, right, uh, your username was your student ID. Yeah. Have to guess what your password was. <laughs> student ID. Yeah, just as bad. And so uh, I was thinking, like, obviously, you'd think, like, people change their passwords, surely. No. 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 Oh, my God. Uh, but it's also the school's fault for not mandating that policy. Now, you can go, since I was, uh, I could reach anyone on the network, uh, if I, I couldn't do it to teachers, but um, I, you could do it to any student that hadn't changed their laptop uh, password, and this was for every year, and I can't remember how many kids we had, but uh, someone, I, I could see a student ID, like, I would try it, and it would work, and then uh, I would Expletive. Correct. And I was a little shit, like, I, I didn't do too much, um... Okay, well, I won't say the story on the the rest of the story on the podcast. Maybe after, but 
Now, a few blokes that I wasn't too happy with that were quite dickish to me, and so I, I made sure I got some level of vengeance. It was nice knowing that I, I could do something, and uh, that's the extent of that. I was a child then. Uh, for legal purposes, I was under the age of 16. I'm going to take it a bit of a different direction. For people who kind of want to sort of get into penetration testing and stuff like that, how important would you say the soft skills are? Not necessarily the technical skills, because I'm reading your report actually right now. It's well written. Um, how would you, how much would you say that the report writing is important? The communication skills, how important is that in penetration testing? I, I, I underestimated how much reporting I'd be doing. Um, I, going into this, I was like, I care nothing but technical skills, technical knowledge. That's all I want. That's all I care about. That's all I thought I needed. I would say reporting is maybe like 30 to 40% of my job. It's actually one of the most time consuming things. Like yeah, you can spend two to four weeks testing and having fun and dissembling and annihilating some poor application. But at the end of the day, like everything you did, uh, well, every, I, I like documentation. I, I'm actually quite obsessed with documentation. Yeah. And so that comes in quite handy, but you need to, every request and every response, we, we have to save and document, which is quite nice because it actually saved our asses once. Like yeah. uh, if you use perhaps uh, Suite Pro, you can save sessions yeah. and they're persistent. And so we save it for every like test we do. Yep. Uh, so what happened there was like a particular endpoint that we had tested and we didn't find anything. It wasn't like any SQL uh, issue. The issue that the customer came back to us and like, hey, like this endpoint was vulnerable to like SQL injection. Like, why didn't you find this? Like, no, we're like we're ninety five percent certain we tested for that because that's one of the go to tests. Yeah. And they're like, well, do you have any proof? And thankfully, we had a burp suite session. We went back. We showed this the endpoint that we had tested and scanned. Like, show, yep, like here's the query. Like, exact same query. Well, I say the exact same, but like similar, similar principle. Like, it's, uh, if it was vulnerable, the query we used would have worked and shown it. We then retested to see uh, whether or not our query would have shown as vulnerable on the new app, and it was vulnerable uh, on the later one. So it was good that we backed that up and documented it. But yes, reporting is super, super important, especially because we take it a step further. Like, we don't just tell the guys like. Here are the issues we found. Uh, it's remediation and stuff. Yeah. Yes. And so that's the real value. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the last stretch because the reason they bring you on is they don't have the expertise to do it themselves. So we, we take the, yeah, that's like the third and final. So there's like three stages. Uh, well, four, I should say, actually. Initial stages, like the most important, I would say, is like having a conversation like, what do you actually want out of this? Like, are you looking for just a few apps to be tested and an environment to be tested? Or do you want to know whether or not you could be hacked? Um, and so depending on what they want, uh, we then build up around the scope uh, on that. So yeah, 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 they, they give us access. Like I know there's a whole conversation around like white, ha- uh, white box hacking, black box hacking, yeah, 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 but like yeah. it saves us, it saves us so much time. Like if you want as much in like a uh, value for your money as you want, get a white box done. Like it, it saves the, we can hack you. We can spend months like, uh, harvesting emails and credentials, but we're going to charge you for that. Yeah. And so, yeah, we just ask for access outright and then, like, um, yeah, like, how, how granular do you want me to go with this? I can talk very, very granular if you like. I mean, I think we get the point of it's not all just fun and games. Yeah. Um, penetration testing and, even like, we've said before as well, um, you don't necessarily need a technical ability to work in cybersecurity. Um Obviously, it more always helps, um, but you know you need the good writers and stuff like that, the good communicators. Yeah, you need. I'd say the soft skills are very important. Yeah, I, I would say it's it's an interesting that like 
the full I feel like there's different disciplines, even with like there's a lot of different disciplines within cybersecurity. Look, I feel like um even at this table you got I do like more so governance stuff, yeah, highly technical penetration testing. Max is a little bit in between, but cloud specifically as well. Yeah. Um, I was, I, that's I, what I was going to say is there's three different disciplines right here. Yeah, I, I, I would I would say like uh, all, all three are still to like to some degree uh, technical and uh, like theoretical as well, if you will. And I, I feel like it depends on the kind of work you're doing. Like if you want to get, uh, it depends where you want to go. Gosh, even like with, within pen testing, there's so many like sub-disciplinaries like do you want to do infrastructure? Do you want to do web application? Do you want to do cloud? Do you want to do network? Do you want to do API? Like, what do you want to do? Do you want to do reverse engineering? Like, each one is, like, still proper hacking, but different skill sets, different... Oh, sorry, go on. No, that's right. So what I was going to say is it actually leads me into one. For our listeners that are really interested in what you're talking about and what you're saying and potentially want to start a career in pen testing, what are some of the basics they can do to learn a little bit of everything and, and put them on the path to gain knowledge to yeah, become a pen tester. What are some things they can do? What are some strategies? What are some events they can go to? Well, what what stuff can? Mm-hmm. No, it's a good question. Like okay, first off, like depends on the hardware you have. Yeah. Do you have a, if they have a laptop, they're willing to spare, or a desktop where they want to, they're willing to partition. Like my number one recommendation, uh, regardless of people's skill sets or, like, or levels that they're at, is like just start getting used to using Linux. Okay. Um, you will be using all things Linux. In fact, uh, 80% of all the, the servers and uh, sites that you interact with, like Netflix and G- Google, Gmail, everything, all of that's running on Linux. Yeah. Get used to that because most systems you're going to be testing will be uh, running on Linux or Unix or some embedded version of Linux. I mean, Windows is relevant and it's a good skill set to have, but initially just focus on Linux and start like, you know, Playing around, like uh, my recommendation is to, I, I use it for a very, very long time for, as my daily driver. Like I didn't use Windows, I didn't use Mac. All I use is Linux. And if you want to build up your knowledge, I, I did what's called distro hopping. Like every few months I'll change Linux distros. There's, there's like a Debian, there's Ubuntu, there's Kubuntu. Yeah. And uh, well, it's actually really, really fun. Like there's so many different, like pull up like how many thousands of different uh, Linux distros. And there's actually a nice, uh, tree that shows you like all the sub uh distros like there's uh let me, let me name some fun ones there's athena os there's parrot os there's kali linux the, i've already said debian was good i was yeah below it <laughs> oh man that's a funny story for those who don't know like uh temple os was uh made by a very intelligent person but who had schizophrenia and they designed temple os which was built on an entire um it's like a religious uh linux distro 600 different Linux distros. Thank you for showing. 500 in active development. That's insane. Um, Fred Hertz. Yeah, I, I used to do the same thing. I partitioned my drive when I was doing a more development mm. role at um, Macquarie Uni. Um, weirdly enough, it wasn't on this laptop. It was my last one. A couple, I stopped using it because the the boot drive just forgot Ubuntu existed. Oh, uh, no, that happens. That happens. Um, yeah. <laughs> but this laptop was a problem child. It, uh, it it forgot Windows existed like twice. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens when you install a new device after you've installed it from distro, like uh, depending on your uh, bootloader, uh, you will f- lose the pointer for that. So that's happened to me constantly. So there's a cool bootloader that I love. It's called Grubhub. Use that. Like that's how you add partitions and pointers and you can like configure it. Like once you know what you're doing, it's really... Uh, but it takes a while to get up to that. If you if you're like intermediate and you want to you know break into the advanced to you know on on your pursuit of mastery, 
I would recommend Carl, uh, not Carl Linux, sorry, Arch Linux. And I know there's a funny, I don't know if you guys know about like the whole, there's like a whole gimmick regarding Arch Linux. It's very, very bare bones. Like you're given nothing but a terminal initially. Like, really? You, okay. Yeah, you need to mount your drives. And once you mount your drives, then you can install your uh, distro into it. Like you, you had the wiper partition it first, yada, 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 obviously. But then you have to install your own graphical environment or your display environments, your um, your background environment as well, your everything. It's like, it's best way to, and you just configure your network, uh, all that by hand. I know exactly who will love this. Flynn, who we've had on a couple of times, will absolutely adore this. I'm going to show a show a bit of a Linux. Um, oh. Yeah, um, yeah. He, I actually despise it. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he, uh, so I'm a very big Linux advocate, but he keeps trying to get me to switch to Linux for gaming. Oh, the yeah. only thing with gaming in Linux is that I know that it's a lot easier nowadays, but when I'm going to play games, I'm trying to escape reality. I don't want to, I don't want to think about, you know, it's not work, but like work related stuff. I don't want to have to go in and git update everything. I'll git update ABT. Yeah. Um, Probably recommending Proton. Yeah. I've, I've gamed like, it sucks because uh, until the Steam Deck came out, like you could not game like main, like AAA games like Rainbow Six Siege or like, you still can't in fact, because of the anti-cheat. Uh, they haven't built a Linux kernel. Uh, they probably won't anytime soon. They had the original CS uh, playable on Linux, but then CS2 came about and they dropped that. And I was heartbroken. But um, wait, sorry, going back to your question, like, what would I do if you know? What would I tell a beginner uh, how to start, where to start? Like, hop and try hacking. Hop and hack the box. Hopping over the wire. Like, oh, there's so many. Like, first, what 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 interests you primarily? Uh, it makes it so much easier if you have a general idea of like what you want to learn, because then you can kind of like focalize uh, on that specific um, subject. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would start, you know, with with going through try hack me seeing what concepts that you don't understand and if you're already at a point where like you've been doing it for a while you feel like you have an understanding of everything and you're looking for the next next level networking networking is probably might be yeah, one of my top recommendations because i see like a lot of people are like well versed in networking but it's one of those things that if you get good at it separates you from the rest now the next thing i'd recommend and this might be a bit controversial because i've seen a lot of in between programming and unfortunately like if you want to script like say you, you've just created some zero day right yeah now well, you've found some zero day in the vendor application and you want to spray or check to see how many people are vulnerable to you know tell them or show them or demonstrate impact like you need to be able to write scripts um on the floor it doesn't have to you don't have to be a fantastic developer just just be able to write scripts or so whether it's bash scripts or python or java or c plus plus whatever it is like yeah, like program something out of a out of an idea. Yeah, yes. I mean, every environment's a little bit different as well, right? So yeah. you got to be able to adjust and absolutely. Yeah, like some that's a really good point, and it sort of resonates with me a bit. Once you get to a certain point with some programming languages, you start to think a little bit in the programming language, and when you get an idea, you're able to. You don't have to spend hours researching it. You can just kind of play and get it to work yourself. Mm-hmm. And I guess yeah, getting to that stage in pen testing, a lot of yeah, would, yeah, a lot of bash scripting, a lot of Python, Python, yeah, yeah. The Python is just too powerful. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got to, I regret starting with Python. It's just like why? Uh, yeah, man, like, I'm, I've been the two, sorry, it's too much for you. Yeah, yeah, it gives you everything. I'm trying to go low level, like learning assembly for like reverse engineering. Everyone use tools like Gita or Ida Pro to reverse a binary. Like, you need to know how the C, like 
gosh, sorry, you need to know C++ and at least have beyond fundamental knowledge and assembly. But like that's that's a different kind of hacking. That's a fun kind of hacking. Uh, something I'm not too well versed in. But it, obviously, like if you can only read Python, you're not going to get that. But I, I I tutor people for like development, right? And so once you know about like three or four languages, like not even that. Like if you if you have understood and used a lot of languages for a long enough time, it's you can pretty much pick up any any other language because the concepts are the same. It's just different syntax. Yeah, and the other, that's, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot of contention with, with development, but I feel like if you want to really like put yourself on the next level and offer uh, a sense skill sets and like differentiate yourself from others, programming and networking will really help uh, you make a case. Just for our listeners, I think I'm actually a little bit in our listeners' shoes a little here. Um, I've been trying to kind of rebuild my technical skill because my current role, although I do technical stuff and it's a lot of its concepts, a lot of it's theoretical, um, sometimes I do miss out on, you know, some of the more, you know, tech savvy stuff of, you know, the nitty gritty. And so something I've been doing recently is I've been, uh, one of, as Kerwin said, one of the things realized I want to do a lot of web application stuff. Um, something I've been going through is Port Twigger Academy. It's been, it's actually been very good. Um, and it seems to be pretty good so far in terms of beginner and intermediate. And yeah, so that's something I've been enjoying. I would recommend Alice's check that out as well. Absolutely. In fact, that that's, that's <laughs> when we're learning like a specific attack, uh, that is probably my number one recommendation. Like as they give very sophisticated breakdowns on what the actual attack vector is, mm-hmm. um, their theoretic, theoretical knowledge behind it. They give you a little demo and then they have an environment that you can spin up quite easily. It's like the top right, just click it. It's yeah. It's cool. And uh, then they let you attack it. Uh, yeah, perfect recommendation. Uh, back of fun here. Like, uh, yeah, if you're looking to learn, that's another fantastic resource, specifically for um, if you're using like Burp Suite as well. Like uh, that, those two pair perfectly like well. Burp Suite is such a good tool. Once you know how to use it, it's just so... Um, even we got fairly decent at it in uni, but I went back to it. I'm like, oh, I was like, I regret that I haven't used this in so long. I don't remember how to Gosh. use it. Thanks for listening. Just a reminder that the Cyber Minutes podcast is for educational purposes only. The views expressed by hosts and guests are their own, not necessarily their employers. Advice discussed is general advice. We promote ethical discussions, not illegal activities. Have a cybersecurity question? Send an email to cyberminutespodcast at gmail.com as we'd love to answer it. Stay cyber safe.